to Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss, is rent and interest slavery? In general um, economic models of the neoclassical type or the Austrian type, um, in general equilibrium, uh, that is a situation where all individual markets themselves are in equilibrium. So the whole of the economic model as such is in equilibrium. Um, there remains typically the returns to um, capital, labor and land. Um, and so known as wages, rent and interest. Um, to my knowledge, there is no um, school of economics or political philosophy that ever complains about wages. Everyone thinks that wages in principle is legitimate. You should remunerate uh, the worker for his labor. And that's what's called um, wages. Now, of course, there's the dispute for the Marxists that, you know, the surplus value and stuff and the worker isn't paid enough. But in principle, the idea that the, the labourer should be paid in a, a significant sum is, you know, generally considered legitimate. The questions, though, uh, raise, are raised over um, rent and interest and to some extent as well profit, although profit, technically speaking, doesn't exist in um, general equilibrium. But so that that's kind of like the, the sort of very, very broad um, picture that we, we could to begin with. Tim, any comments or anything uh, you want to say about that so far? Well, uh, as a general comment here, much of this conversation is going to depend on, as all, as all conversation, on the definition, meaning, and usage of words. Uh, I remain a bit shining here insofar as I think words have words have meaning, but they're somewhat democratic and they're somewhat they change over time. And the reason I use the word slavery here, you know, is rented and there's slavery. Uh, as well as we include some other things here, is because slavery still has some bite to it. You know, in the book Anarchy and Utopia, uh, Robert Nozick, a kind of mainstream end cap, uh, makes the he sort of dares anyone defend slavery here. It's sort of like your comment about wages. Everyone thinks wages are legitimate. They're just not high enough. But in the same way, no one thinks slavery is legitimate. So that so no one thinks Chattel's slavery is legitimate. I mean, the Marxist neoclassicals and Austrians all think it's illegitimate. Now, that, to a certain extent, that's a moral argument here, and we're not here really to debate moral arguments. We'll just, yeah, we're just going to take Nozick's point and sort of just assume it's bad. We did do an episode on is Aristotle right about slavery, but again, we're just going to take these sort of as a given here. Uh, but um, the, the, we're going to move into like the, the first topic here, which you brought up is like a rent. Um, it's, is rent is paying rent um, or collecting rent because you have two parties here. You have the rent payer and the rent collector. Uh, a form of slavery here, or, or all three here, Swithin. So let's start with rent. Rent is the most physical of the three. Um, it's sort of like in the kind of employment here. There's absentee landlords, and there's less absentee landlords. And we could get sort of into the minutiae of them. Um, but I want to quick clear, before we get into too much of an issue here, I want to quick clear an issue here. Um, one of the quibbles I have with the Marxists is, is that, or, or the sort of left libs and some of the um, – Less so with the neoclassicals here is, and this is what Hoppe talks about: what Marx gets right and what Marx gets wrong is, the Marxists at times are engaged in a trick when it comes to homesteading. So they'll say, oh, context matters here. Did the apartment owner or landowner come to the the, the thing justly? And well, Hoppe would argue that they're just this is the contents of an empty box here. They don't think any land can be homesteaded really correctly anyway. 
Um, so you can talk about enclosures. You can talk about Andrew Jackson. You can talk about whatever, blah, blah, blah you want. But they don't think any – they don't really think – they don't really have a property acquisition theory that they think is legitimate to begin with. So there's sort of like contents and empty box here. So I just wanted to clear that here. So so back to the issue here. You know, in the sort of traditional, you know, rent paying model where you rent a, an apartment or rent a, a, a vacation home, is this a form of is this a form of slavery? What you're doing is you're, not not again by by standard usage of words, it's not slavery, um, but but by sort of this other looser term of slavery, it might be. Swithin, what do you make of this? Uh, well. As you sort of um, implied, a lot of the, the debate over this depends really on um, what would be considered uh, just uh, original property acquisition or land acquisition. And um, broadly speaking, uh, well, uh, most most theories of uh, just land ownership will start with um, pe- people using it. So you could call it the, the labor appropriation theory. Although Kinsella would uh, object to that on various grounds, um, but um, effectively people use it, and then they are then considered the owners. The, the question is, what considered, what sort of considered uh, implied abandonment? Um, so, um, if you take the mutualist position um, and held by like the individual anarchists like um, uh, Benjamin Tucker, is that we need occupation and use. So if you have a piece of land and okay, it's yours, you're using it, you own it. But if you happen to leave it for a particular period of time, then effectively it's considered abandoned and then able for somebody else to homestead. Um, so in that um, situation, having sort of like absentee landlordism is impossible um, because uh, an absentee landlord by, by definition can't own it because he's not occupying and using it. Um, you so that's you could say is the um, the strictest view when it comes to um, land ownership, and then in one sense, and then the uh, the other side would be sort of like um, the non-proviso Lockeans, such as Hopper, uh, Rothbard, etc., who would say, well, you know, you mix your labour with it, it's yours, and it's yours in perpetuity until you decide to sell it. Um, and so there you can have absentee landlo- um, landlordism and um, there's no restrictions on how much uh, land anybody can own. Uh, there's not the case. Uh, I can't remember the precise um, language of um, uh, of Locke, but um, Locke held that you, know, you could take it out of the common use and. Um, you could take it out of the, the common use, and I'll return to that idea in a second. Um, but as, as long as there's enough for somebody else to sort of use to live live on. Um, uh, Herbert Spencer has a thought experiment whereby uh, if you were able to have private ownership of all land around the world, you could have a situation where basically a human is illegal everywhere and therefore had like no right to life. And so that's how he defended sort of the Lockean proviso. Um, when it because about since the common use, um, the um, the Georgists um, and a lot of um, 
older sort of uh, Catholic and sort of Christian sort of um, political philosophy has the idea that sort of like and, and same with, with Locke, actually, the proviso Locke is that God um, gave uh, the, the earth to humanity in common. And so you sort of like need a justification to take it out of common uh, use. Um, and so that's where sort of like the, the proviso comes in with um, with uh, Locke. Um, so they're kind of sort of two different ends on sort of like the um, the mutualists and the non-provisor Lockeans as what to do. Um, you then get the Georgists, and this uh, raises the sort of labor theory of value. Um, the Georgists claim that uh, rent is legitimate, um, but um, only insofar as you're getting return on capital and not on the land. Um, Henry George, who is influenced by Marx, um, basically said that uh, wages, I, I can't remember his view on interest, uh, but wages and returns of capital were perfectly fine because of the products of labor. Um, and he argued that um, if you own a piece of land and uh, you have like a, a house on it, the value of it can go up massively, not because you've done anything or improved it at all. Uh, it's just because there, let's suppose, other businesses set up in the area or places that people want to go and see uh, or, or I don't know Disneyland sets up near where you are the value of your property then goes up because people actually want to go there and so he argued this was unearned income and this was actually a, a collective effort and so you could have landlordism but um, the strict rent which came from the unimproved land because that's the one the individual hasn't worked on at all uh, that is which could be uh, taxed and then used for sort of like running of the state. Although there are sort of anarcho-Georgists, uh, but who would still collect, or but there would still be some sort of agency which would collect this tax, this, this sort of tax, or or a community fee. I suppose the anarchist versions of the Georgists would argue, which would be used for sort of um, collective public improvements. Um, so those are um br yeah broadly speaking uh sort of three different views as it were on sort of land ownership which then um depending on to what extent you deviate from them so the, the absentee landlord as it were is a, is a form of like a slave owner um uh, as well with that because of landlordism um you have like land monopoly as tucker calls it and so um you restrict the amount of uh, land available for people to use which then reduces their bargaining positions um, and uh, increases the returns to uh, land because land is more effectively scarce. Um, the Georgists are sort of similar in that respect, um, in that you shouldn't be able to keep any rent. If it's a payment for like renting an apartment and it's the value of, of the improved land, that is the if you could. So what the a lot of the Georgist claim rests on the idea that we can somehow disentangle the value of like the apartment from the value of the land on which the apartment uh, resides. Um, that's uh, the sort of the Georgist position. And then the, the Lockean and especially the, the non-provisor Lockeans would basically say, well, in principle, you can have sort of, well, they don't tend to put it this way because they make them sound Marxist. Um, but you could have effectively um, slavery, rent slavery, as it were, insofar as the land has not been acquired um, justly. So 
you mentioned Hopper before. Hopper at least have an idea of what just property acquisition would be, non-proviso Lockeanism. Um, and uh, say, well, look, the state has stolen this land, et cetera. And so um, the con- you have much more concentration of land ownership in a uh, few hands, um, which means that they can sort of increase the price over and above the level they would otherwise uh, put it at. It's basically a form of monopoly in sort of the Rothbardian sense. So um, all those three positions do hold a form of sort of like uh, rent slavery. Um, but it depends, but the source of it is somewhat different. Although all of them would probably, well, yeah, would agree really that sort of statism, as it were, or as to what constitutes statism, or uh, land which has been stolen or um, acquired by fiat by the state basically causes a situation whereby um, people are going to be paying more. Well, maybe they wouldn't say that, but I think it's consistent with them say you'd be paying more for the rent of the of something than you otherwise would. I mean, this gets to another question as well is um, in sort of like the the each three systems ideal world, you know, how much would rent be um, in the mutualist position? Rent would basically be negligible uh, under provide under the Lockeanism. It would be there probably a significant amount because they recognize, well, land provides value um, independent of human labor. Um, and the Georgists recognise it as well, although they reckon that's it's sort of communitarily uh, produced. So um, that's another dis- difference between the three systems is, well, yeah, OK, if we have both of all these sort of utopian versions of all three, how much rent would be paid on average relative to the to each three of them? Proviso Lockeanism would probably be the highest of both. No, actually, equal Georgism, I would say, except the Georgist one could be taken um, via the single tax. Uh, I probably didn't clarify. Henry George advocated the way to fund the state was by a single 100% tax on land uh, because um, land's value was not created by labour. And so the unimproved land values were sort of like created by society and so should be appropriated by society to use to pay for public improvements. And so he'd advocate the abolition of income tax, capital gains tax, everything. He'd just have this single tax. Again, this was related in the 19th century. He had lots of um, aristocratic lands and lots of less basically idle. Um, and this is one of the things that sort of like the 19th century anarchists were uh, very much complaining about. Um, so I think that's a reasonably fair summation of three different positions. Do you want any clarification on any of those three? Or is that, does that sort of answer your question? The summation is good, uh, but it sort of doesn't get at sort of what is the correct position here, um, which is sort of what, uh, sort of, you know, what is the case here, not what, ex-thinkers say and you did a very good job I, very interesting here at summarizing the different positions here uh the 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 point about context which i made and you sort of the hopping point about um you know the theft point you know remains a bugaboo but it sort of remains a bugaboo for all positions right even like let's say you have an apartment complex homesteaded in uh, that the, the built by the soviets in poland outside of warsaw but some aristocratic it was actually built on Hans Hoppe's great grandparents' land, or well, this would be in northeast eastern Germany. Uh, I think that's where he's from. Um, no, so now you have two competing claims. So you know, in that case, you know, most n- normal people say, well, actually, the people living in the Soviet housing block are actually the legitimate landowners at this point. 
Uh, but would they apply the same standards to, like, let's say the land around Philadelphia or the land around New York? And we have like 40 generations of, of people living there with more or less de facto by tri property. Now, you can get into the actual property itself, but the actual starting date is basically everyone agrees, you know, this is just enough or this is about as just as similar other cases. So the context thing, the context things remains a bugaboo here, um, here for all cases here. So there might not be a general rule here. That, that might be a problem here. Uh, one of the things with, with respect to Walter Block said about the slavery, one of his definitions of slavery, he, had a, he couldn't run away easily. And your point about the, have the state having monopoly, which reduces the bargaining power and drives up, the reduces the bargaining power to rentees um, and cuts down where you can, you know, like zoning laws and like where you can build and so forth. Um, that, that's another interesting fact, which I think, but, but this is where things I think get tricky here. Um, this is a point uh, Peter Thiel made once with respect to cities. He said that cities in some ways, and I think most, you know, country folk wisdom would, would entirely agree with Peter Thiel's point here. And Rene Girard would as well, that cities are kind of a racket insofar people, they're like a Studio 54 nightclub. Everyone wants to get into New York, which itself makes New York more expensive. But the reason people want to get into New York is it's prestigious. You could say the same thing about London or Paris. So it's kind of like a prestige racket. And a lot of these sort of abstract theoretical positions you outlined uh, sort of miss miss things like that uh, as well. Like say, you know, uh, And they also miss sort of other cases here. You know, for example, people selling their land. Elon Musk bought basically a town outside of his rocket base in southern Texas, which is in the middle of nowhere. There were still some landowners. So each different landowner, he paid different amounts and it was basically ended up being what were they willing to move for? Um, so he paid some of them 100,000. He paid others like two million. Now, I think there's a class action suit that says that everyone should be owed the maximum amount, um, um, not the minimum amount, because the people who left first who took the hundred thousand dollar check. Oh, this is great. This is a giant windfall here. Um, so there is certain interesting gains here with respect to rent. But I still want to return to the sort of. The, uh, the the sort of the class example. Let's say you have an apartment in New York City or London, um, and you're either renting the apartment for out for a year, or you're renting the apartment out for a week. Let's say on like some you know apartment sharing app or Airbnb type place. Do you think the money that is being paid, considering the existing rules of how that land was acquired, is legitimate? Do you think it's legitimate for the land owner to collect? So to speak, the rent. Not, I'm sort of looking for what is the position, Swithin. If if you if you think you have an answer. Well, I, on a pragmatic basis, well, I'm not going to stop him from doing it, and I think in principle he's. Now I think this is uh, w reason why I'm so broadly in the Lockean camp. I do think the landowner is sort of providing uh, some use. Um, even though he might be a, a, an absentee landlord, as it were, you know, because he doesn't just own the land, he owns the, the building on which it is, and he's providing a service that people are willing to pay for. And so in principle, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And so it isn't exploitative at, in principle. Now, is it the case that he can charge a higher price? You could, is he charging a monopoly price in certain respects? Well, yes, almost certainly. Um, but then then you were getting into strategic questions as to whether or not we should try and prevent that taking place. Or is he part of the ruling class 
um, in certain sense? And would it be pragmatic to sort of like prevent him from accessing um, the um, the resources, uh, the, the 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 rent? Um, that's, that's, that's I say a bit of a, pr a pragmatic question. So I, I don't think. I suppose you could say it's like partial. Say I suppose this is similar in certain respects to our discussion on, on wage slavery. I mean, yes, there are basically positions which are sort of sim wage slavery-ish. Uh, there are earnings, there are rents that you will get which are over and above what would otherwise exist. The problem is knowing what they would be. Um, and as to what one should do about that, I think is a general strategic question. How do we um, how do we quickly bring about uh, Swithin the Stan or any other stands that you wish to create? Um, so, but I mean, on the general level, I'm, I'm not going to go around going, oh no, the the landlord is is um, an exploiter per se, unless of course I've got obvious um, belief that he's been cozying up with the state um, to sort of directly improve his position, in which case. I would have more of an objection, but it's very much of an empirical one. And, and in general, I'm not going to go out of my way to complain about it a lot. Although I would, though, point out that this he's been paid a lot more than he otherwise would. And interesting relating to Elon Musk uh, purchasing land. Uh, and this is something that's relevant as well, actually, with with um, with rent is it, we can we don't need to go into interest yet if you don't want to. But um, one of the reasons why uh, you're able to charge, or, well, why land goes up in value so much um, is because of the crazed um, monetary system. In the absence of that, you wouldn't be able to get all these sort of unearned income um, growth that, say, like the Georgia's complaining about, although inflation was less of an issue um, back in the 19th century, um, because, well, prices of things in general just simply wouldn't go up. If anything, they would go down. Um, so the monetary system makes a very big difference as to how much the, the prices go. I mean, so for instance, I, I, I'm pretty sure if I bought my house um, eight years ago and I'm pretty sure if I sold it now, I, I would probably get at least 70 percent more than I bought it for. Now, I've improved it in certain respects, but the, most of the change is land value changes. And the only reason that's going up is, well, not the only reason, but the major reason is uh, monetary policy. I mean, that is the major reason. I mean, the place I am in, it, it's grown a little bit, so you'd expect demand to go up and stuff like that. But the, it's not 75% worth in um, land value increase. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that the... The, the the landlord is sort of a you could say a partial slave owner uh, but in a sense he's weirdly an involuntary slave owner I and mean, he's just sort of operating in the system he's in um which is kind of weird uh, so i suppose it might be best to say he's he's he's, he's a slave of the state or at least a ruling class um you're coming about you i'm cut in here you're coming about the being involuntary slavery is quite interesting involuntary slave owner is quite interesting because with the state, because the monetary policy is the most uh, regressive policy you could probably imagine. Because the more assets you own, so let's say you own a hundred, let's say you're like Bernie Sanders owns three homes, but I think let's let's go move to someone who owns like a hundred homes. 
you know, or let's say you're like JP Morgan when own like, like one third, you know, or someone like that. If you, if your assets go up seven, that's a huge windfall in terms of value. So monetary policy is quite regressive here. Um, um, but, but I also want to push back against the sort of Marxist left anarchist Kevin Carson position as well. I do think, uh, I do think the, um, I'm going to make two cases here with respect to rent. I do think the land owner provides the sort of landlord does provide a value. And that's where the, the phrase Lord, uh, like Lord of the manor, um, you know, to go, go full Hans Hoppe democracy, the God that failed. I do think the Lord, so to speak, has a time preference here, which is much long spanning. Um, um, now, again, this might not be true in all circumstances here. Uh, but, you know, people do trash. I mean, this is this is one of the things that, like, for example, Airbnb and hotels complain about is people do rent out the rooms and just trash them for parties or whatever. Uh, if you own that property and you wanted to sell it later, you, of course, would not do that as much. Or 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 if you do, you would know what you were getting into, um, um, at least in a way. So, I, you know, Hans Hoppe has a lecture called Whom Exploits Whom, and he basically makes this point with respect to uh, with, with respect to employees, and his comment was that you know, if employees are such the windfall for the the employer, they would just just hire infinite employees um, um, because the, each employee gives them additional gains. And this is also true under slavery too. You just hire infinite number of slaves, but slaves come with costs too, and they also come with uh, in the capitalist himself and the landowner is a consumer too. So I. So I, I'm willing to grant fully the monetary policy point, which actually the Marxists should actually be banging on about all day long, too. Um, I'm still sort of befuddled why they don't exactly like that, why they're sort of sort of so amiss to that. And as well as the I do think land, the landlord does provide value in a way in terms of keeping it nice and following the rules here. But this sort of goes back to our hotel or household state here where where in this regard i'm sort of sympathetic to both sides i think there are fine people on both sides of this sort of debate here um, um I, I you know there's a way in which tenants can become sort of nasty tenants and sort of turn the land the, the, the there's circumstances here this is where context where things can go both sides what do you make of those clarifying points within um i i, I think your time preference point is interesting um I, I do think, it, as I said before, it is the case that um, contrary to some of like the more Marxist position, in, in principle, that they are providing a service of some description. You, know, you have to build it. You have to restrain your spending to um, develop uh, the land and to build a, uh, an apartment block or a, a house or some sort of dwelling uh, to rent out. And that is, that is genuinely providing a service and is... Um, and, and, and is useful and would, well, let's say would exist, although if you're a mutualist, it wouldn't. That seems to be a a good thing. It, it's something which is providing a value to people. And I think this is one of the sort of fundamental disputes is, um, well, there, there is one sort of on rights, but on what the sort of, is the social outcome of any of the three systems which of them and how provide like a a well-functioning and sort of livable um, um, society. Um, was, I can't remember the other point you wanted me to comment on. 
the mon- how monetary policy is the regressive is a is when monetary policy as practiced today for a number of years is quite regressive insofar oh, yeah. as the more homes you have oh, yeah, no, entirely it's yeah. entirely it, it, it definitely it but be- it definitely benefits the capitalist over the wage earner um if from the, the marxist terminology uh, those who own assets they seen the value go up massively now for general sort of uh, householders and you know have, have a house it doesn't really make much difference but insofar as you have multiple pieces of the property then of course it does um and also then you can use that to borrow very cheaply and um um, well, it's, it's it's a very good way of tax avoidance because uh, you can borrow if you're ultra rich, you can borrow against your um, assets, use that to live on. Jeff Bezos did this. Uh, he was paid one dollar a year once and was eligible for tax credits because basically he lived by borrowing against his shares in Amazon. Um, and uh, oh, a related point to that which might be something coming to later with dividends and things, but the inflationary system. I mean, in the absence of the crazy monetary policy, the Dow Jones or the S&P 500 wouldn't increase in value every year on average, because if you have basically a fixed money supply, or at least one that doesn't change by very much, as some of the Austrians would would advocate, it's going to be highly unlikely that a general increase in uh, share price or asset price is really going to be able to achieve, is really going to be possible, unless, of course, you have resources have moved away from non incorporated publicly traded companies uh to to them away from private limited companies or sole traders or or partnerships um so i think in the backdrop of a lot of this is is uh as you say the, the money monopoly um which really does feed into it although there are still let's say the the, the disputes on what constitutes uh, legitimate land ownership um interest let's move on to interest here um, interest is the next item here. You know, rent. In a way, in a way, interest is just a form of rent. It's just it's sort of rent paid to capital here. Um, and you have, of course, either paying or collecting. There's always two parties in these kinds of relationships. Um, I'll make a quick aside with respect to Christians. There, interestingly, some Christians are okay with collecting interests from others, but they don't think you yourselves is legitimate. You don't think it's rational to pay interest. And I always find I always find those positions to be sort of like it's it's okay to run a casino, it's just not okay to go to a casino um, type positions here. Uh, 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 now, of course, you you could say well the, the casino has some social value and like whatever in terms of like oh it produces social cohesion or something like that. So maybe maybe there's other values to it. But gambling is a losing oper- operation for most people by definition here. Um, but for example, Yaron Brooks thinks financing is perfectly fine and actually thinks it's actually thinks you should do it. Actually, it's a should or ought statement because it increases your ability to have access to goods. And then you can go out and multiply um, uh, uh, your your gain here. So, you know, if you, you know, and, and Nassim Taleb sort of somewhat complains about the people that go into debt to go to invest in things. Um, um, and he says it fragilizes the system here. People go into debt. They'll go buy stocks or they'll go to high risk thing or they'll do high risk business, actual business deals or invest in high risk businesses. And they'll try to double their money on the debt or they'll just, you know, they'll do these kind of things. But people like Yaron Brooks think this is perfectly legitimate and think you ought to do it and think it's actually a, a positive good. Um, um, now, interest in like Swithistan or Rothbardistan without monetary policy it would probably be much more boring so to speak it would be much more conservative it would be much more, less interesting 
um, because you don't have easy money floating around here. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of predicting what you would say to that kind of financial enge- engineering. So I'm well aware that lots of interest is probably illegitimate um, um, in bo- on both sides here, um, basically because of <laughs> it's a sort of it's sort of like the same old story because of the central banks here. Um, but you know, if you can move into sort of micro interest here, this is where things become much more interesting here. Uh, I'm not quite sure what Kevin Carson's position on like microcredit. Let's say you rent out, uh, you rent out your. This is this is sort of way in which renting is analogous to interest here. Uh, you, you know, this is where money. This is where we have to sort of talk about money here, because like if you're if you're loaning out an item, what you're doing is renting out an item. If you're loaning out money, you're loaning out money to go rent an item, in all likelihood. Um, you know, you're gonna loan out money from a bank to go rent to go help buy you a house or buy a tractor for your farm, and then you're going to pay that bank the surplus here uh, of that. You're going to pay the bank there the uh, percentage on that. Um, would you say gains from that is legitimate? You know, what, what you outline a number of thinkers. What's sort of the general outline with respect to interest here? Swithin? Well, um, as you can guess, there's many views on it. Um, I mean, so there, there is the idea that interest per se is illegitimate. Uh, this is held by sort of um, other Christian thought. Um, the Islamic uh, banking system uh, sort of objects to uh, interest um, on various different grounds. Um, if I remember correctly, um, uh, Aquinas, uh, following Aristotle, says that the purpose of money is just to facilitate exchange. It it, it doesn't re- reproduce itself. It's not like um something from the natural world which has a, a natural sort of increase and so the idea that well you can lend someone money and then they have to give you back more than you lent to them is sort of unnatural and uh you are requiring more like a double payment um and so interest per se is um illegitimate on that basis uh because it's a, a, contrary to the nature of things is effectively uh, the argument um, and, and also as well here, there's underlying that kind of theory is that there should be some of a quality of exchange. That a just exchange is one where someone uh, gives something to somebody else of equal value. Now, obviously, uh, to the subjectivist marginalist tradition, that makes no sense, because why would anybody trade anything to somebody else uh, if they thought what they were trading was worth the same as what they were buying? They would only ever buy something if they thought what they were buying was worth more than what they were trading. Um, with respect to Kevin Carson, uh, again with the mutualists, they kind of pay lip service to say that rent is legitimate in principle and interest is legitimate in principle. But in practice, what they would like is basically interest to be negligible and um, rent rent uh, income to be negligible as well. Um, I can never really get to the bottom of Carson, but we like some of the um, sort of the left libertarians. Um, they seem to have a, a view that well, it really seems to be like an inflationist position. But well, the problem is, is like the rest- MMT possibly is an unfair characterization, but they seem to be the position that we just need more money floating around. And the problem is we've got money monopoly uh, in the banks and you've got the restrictions on who can set up banks and you've got to follow all the licensing requirements of the state and then they can only lend. And so then because of a restriction of supply, then the, the um the interest that they charge is higher. 
Um, so, but then they kind of think, well, if you got rid of that, we're just going to have some sort of like weird credit monies and lots of sort of cooperatives can get together and create their own sort of monies and things. And um, because there's so much credit floating around that the, the uh, interest would be basically zero or, or, or approaching it. Um, so they're, they're, that's kind of interesting that they sort of advocate the effectively advocate in sort of uh, mutualist stand um the similar um policies that make rent rental values go up massively um so that's sort of a quirk of their sort of monetary system but when it comes to interest per se i think you can basically come up with three different positions i lend some money to at say five percent interest you have to pay me back the money i lend you say 100 pounds you have to pay me back 105 pounds or legally i can basically put you into indentured servitude or uh, debtors prisons pay me back um, the view here being that, well, you're just paying for the use of the money in the same way you might pay for my use of my tractor. Uh, and, you know, if you don't have to make any money on you or you for what you use the tractor for, uh, you get paid less than I charge you in sort of um, fees to using it. Well, that's your problem, not mine. And so you could say that's the same of interest. And so this is a position whereby you could justify um, like a debtor's prison or in indentured servitude for debts. Um, Another position you could hold is to say, well, I lent you £100, but what you owe me back is £100. So this is sort of more similar in certain respects to sort of like the position of, uh, of Aquinas, except that um, if you were able, as it were, to um, pay back more than you kind of should, but you don't be legally required to pay back what you borrowed. And then another position you could take is, well, rent, uh, lending money is inherently risky activity anyway. And so if no one pays you back, well, no one pays you back. It was they 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 would treat it not like a payment for a uh, a service like uh, renting a tractor or something, but more of a case of well, um, lending money is like putting money on the stock stock market. If you if you lose it, well, you lose it. Um, so so those are sort of like three potential like legal positions um, to hold an interest. I thought about this for a while. Um, I, I'm very much in the sort of pro interest camp I, I don't really see how it's any different from contrary to aristotle and Aquinas. i don't see how borrowing money is any different from borrowing a tractor because um the guy who is lending the money he's giving something up he's giving up the use of it and um and so he can't use it for the time period in which he is being he's lending it for and so there's a genuine sort of loss on that basis and and he can be legitimately um, paid uh, a fee for doing so. Um, so I, I I don't really see the arguments. Um, I, I don't see why that's not tr uh, the, the correct position. And also, if you look at the, the positions and sort of the Islamic banking system and things, uh, they kind of in, in, in words get rid of interest, but they sort of bring it back insofar as a weird sort of joint ownership position i don't remember exactly how it works the idea is to try and share the um the risk between the lender and the borrower to make it more of a a joint uh investment enterprise but effectively there is that sort of like interest-esque um elements uh that, that remains so i think really the dispute when it comes to interest comes on well who should bear the risk is it the borrower, is it the lender, or is it both? Um, and 
I, I think it's incumbent upon the on the on the borrower in the same way it would be if you borrowed a tractor. And and, and one last thing, um, the reason why Aquinas is wrong is it didn't take into account time preference. Hundred pounds now is worth more than hundred pounds in the future in a year's time, even with zero in inflation, because I would rather use the hundred pounds now because I can have the benefit of any whatever I buy now for a year, which I'm going to give up if I lend you hundred pounds, you give me back hundred pounds in a year. So um, the problem of focusing too much on, as it were, the objective rather than the subjective, I think, is at the heart of a lot of the problems um, that certain people have had with interest in the past. So I, I think that, that that's a fair summation of, sort of three broad positions you could hold. Interest interest has the peculiar effect of not being, uh, as you stated here, is 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 the Aquinas. I I would agree Aquinas here is wrong here. Um, is being a way money but the money in general is always uh the money is always sent towards goods here and actually this is where the uh you know rc Sproul had a lecture here about stewardship here and he brought up the sort of the classic parable example where he complained that the uh the uh person who just buried it under the ground and waited a year and dug it up and again and gave it back to them um is considered uh the worst of the three uh, examples here um and now again the marxist christians would 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 say this this is actually reversed here um that actually that that guy they need to sort of band together and help out the third guy and teach him how to well, i'm not exactly sure what the liberation christian here view but it's sort of the sort of more standardish or well, i say well the calvinist position uh since rc sproul is a calvinist here um is that uh you know th and this is how you get the matthew effect here where interest multiplies here uh 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 uh, is that it's not, you know, the hundred pounds, hundred pounds, if, if they just sort of spent it, um, you'd get the gain. But if you just, if you just keep it there, you actually get no gain and actually just sort of decays in a way. So it's, 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 it's so on the issue of interest here, I think there is a, I think there's a, a strong impetus in, I think there's a strong need. I think there's a strong need for it. Otherwise you don't get gains from savings either. Um, um, now, I, I think Kinsella would disagree with the sort of consequentialist style arguments in favor of interest here. But one of the primary reasons people save is so they can get gains from interest here, as well as save for a rainy day here. Um, but, you know, they are foregoing consu current consumption here. It's not as if, if, you know, they could have bought, instead of buying a tractor, they could have bought, you know, an expensive I don't know, an expensive wallpaper, expensive painting and put it in their house. But instead, they lend it out to somebody else and they're using it here uh, uh, and they're putting it to good use here. So I do I do think there is a sort of social good to interest here. Now, extreme interests. Now you can always go into the degrees here or ruinous interests. Um, there's a lot of sort of attacks on payday loans here in the United States and credit card interests. I would agree with them, but I also agree with that is the people who get into those things are just sort of stupid in a way, um, which some people might say, well, they have bad circumstances here. Um, um, and this is where like you can't, you know, this is where the, like you can't protect everyone from every bad loan shark because that's what they in fact they are uh, out there. So there are I do agree there are such things as ruinous interest here, but I also do agree that 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 interest probably has a social good. To it. 
What do you make about my comments with respect to interest here and the parable of the talents? Swithin? And talents is money, according to R.C. Sproul. It's not like a skill. What do you make of that? Oh, Swithin? yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think it, 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 it's a skill. I mean, loads of Christian sort of preachers and stuff always skip over that because, well, it, it's somehow sporting, quote, unquote, capitalism. So I have to avoid it. I mean, that. I mean, you can sort of extend it and sort of metaphoricalize it, but it still is still money. Um, and and uh, as you were saying, interest does provide is a very good social good. I mean, um, especially if, if for those in the conservative camps, broadly speaking, they should support interest because it encourages deferral of consumption. It, it, if you have a situation where you can't earn any interest, um, then it encourages more current consumption. And so you get more of like a, a consumption rather than a production society. And the conservative in general is like, oh, no, it, it's, it's the worker. It's, it's the saber. You should be producing. You, know, you should be consuming. You, know, you should be working. And um, interest uh, gives incentivized people to do that. And of course, just in general societal um, standards of living. It, and so this is what I say uh, just to defend banks. I mean, I har- I'm hardly a defender of the current banking regime. But in principle, their role is incredibly useful. I have some money. I don't really want to do with it. I want to get a safe return. But I don't have any ideas where I can invest it. So I, send, I, I lend it to the bank. The bank gives me a return because remember, saving in a bank is basically lending to them. Um, they give me an interest, say, 3 percent. And then uh, they go and find uh, you, Tim, and you, you, you want to set up some sort of, I don't know, um, bike uh, franchise to sell bikes. And you borrow the money and then those resources are basically transferred to you to put into some productive activity. I get a return. The bank takes a cut of being the middleman and we get more investment you otherwise would. If I kept it, the resources will. Well, all that would likely happen is if I say you just get deflation, which is good in certain respects. But you wouldn't get the same level of investment and advancements in capital. Um, so interest does provide a, a, a great um, value. Now, obviously, there's the, the loan shark, et cetera. But the question is, well, yeah, that's the problem. I'm not going to say it isn't. But the question is, well, how do you deal with it? Um, do you do it by putting loads of restrictions on loans anyway? Or do you uh, free up the banking sector so it's actually possible that some people could lend to them? Although, actually, in that case, they probably wouldn't be able to. And um in a situation where you had more restricted credit, in a way, payday loans probably wouldn't be possible, I don't think, to some extent. Well, they might be, because as an aside, when it comes to like a Swith and a stamp banking system, I think consumer credit would probably be very limited, if not nothing. The reason is you would always expect some a businessman uh, to be able to outbid a consumer when it comes to how much interest he's willing to pay to borrow. Because if I was in consumer credit, oh, yeah, I want to buy something now and I'll pay some more in the future. You would think in most cases that an entrepreneur would be someone who's willing to pay more interest. Why? Because he's going to get a return on his investment. Um, and so the, the amount of, say, consumer credit would be a lot lower, which would then prevent sort of loan sharking in that respect. Because, well, no, maybe loan sharking could because loan sharking tends to not be done via a bank instead of the individual. So that, that is, I think, po- possible. But the payday loan company, I think, is less likely uh, on, on, on that basis because credit would, contra to the mutualists, less credit in a, in a, in a way is good because um, more credit creates inflation and creates problems with the rental stuff. Um, 
so again, ruinous loans, loan sharks are a problem. The question is best how to deal with it. And I think as ever, it's a case of state intervention, creating a problem somewhere else and then, and then crying out for someone to try and solve it for them when in fact they created the conditions in which that was the problem to begin with. Um, so that would be my concluding remarks on sort of interest. Our final topic here would be, which I, again, I think all these three topics here are later. Our final topic here is stock dividends and gains from capital. So two quick examples here. If I buy, let's say I buy GM stock, let's say I buy $1,000 of GM stock, and then in a year, let's say 10 years time, I sell it. Now, there's two ways it could go. I could sell it for $1,500 or I could sell it for $500. Let's say GM comes out with electric cars and it increases. Oh, this is an innovative process. So now it's worth $1,500. Is that $500 that gains from cap, the gain from that $1,000 I put in a legitimate gain? Now, again, this is where the context matters. People are, are both annoying and uh, and somewhat correct here. Um, now, you could say, well, how did GM, you know, how did GM get that extra, like that gain? You know, did they, you know, is GM a legitimate company? But I think Hans Hoppe here is also correct that that they don't really think any company of any scale is legitimate. I, I mean, I, I would think that's the Kevin Carson company. Any company that's over, uh, I, I, even with you with respect to megacorps or episode, I'm more I, I'm more sympathetic that, that a mega corporation could exist in theory um, um, without a state. Maybe that's a sort of Maybe that's sort of a pie in the sky thing, but I do think it's possible. I'm, I'm not ruling it out here. Um, but you know, but those 500 gains. Now, of course, whether what you do with that 500 dollars is probably a pragmatic thing. Um, if it's some guy on Robinhood selling AMC shares from his basement, who cares? Uh, if it's if 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 it's George Soros or it's um, Mark Cuban selling, you know, Pfizer stocks, maybe we should care more about that. Um, 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 so again, the context matters here. And of course, but there's also the loss. Plenty of people buy stocks, sell stocks, and lose money um, as well. So there's also the loss that tends to get forgotten. People can get ruined there. And of course, we have dividends. Dividends, there's certain mutual funds that you can invest in. I think Vanguard is famous for them, where you just you just collect four to five percent interest. They're considered a conservative investment insofar as you know they're not. The, the, it's sort of like I think it's a hedge fund in a way, but it's sort of like they invest in very safe products and stuff like that. And they just sort of give you small gains, three to five percent, um, and they sort of just pay out. Now that, that it's, it's somewhat profit here. Um, I think the Pennsylvania Railroad was famous for paying us out. They actually ignited one of their strikes because they, instead of raising their wages, they paid their stockholders a higher dividend. Here, that's one of the things that united one of the biggest strikes in in Pennsylvania Railroad history. Here, um, um, so there is a sort of Marxist line that dividends take away from the wages of workers here, which you get the sort of the Ben Burgess uh, position. Ben Burgess, and there's another guy who writes for Jacobin who says that, like, you know, you should have a wealth fund where where the workers are the first to access the gains, the shareholders are the last to access the gains here um, in, in, a, in a scale here. But then again, that goes to the capital because the business could get infused with more capital uh, and you have to sort of reward the people. So in that regard, capital in a stock market is just a form of interest here. In exactly sort of the Matthew effect way. So those are my overview on stock dividends and gains from capital. What do you make of that, Swithin? What did I get right? What did I get wrong? And what do you make of it? Well, the first thing I'd say is that, uh, dividends and profits in general are different from rent, uh, interest, and um, wages, as I mentioned right at the beginning. Is because what you would expect in general equilibrium is for them not to exist. Because what you would expect is if 
all entrepreneurs make correct decisions. Well, the easy way to think about it is this. If entrepreneurs make a mistake and put too many resources in one area, they will make a loss because the price will be too low. Uh, if uh, firms are making profits, well, there's too few resources being devoted to that area. Uh, and so firms just kind of enter the market until all the profits disappear and you only get the returns to land labor. Well, the returns to land labor and time is the sort of Austrian position rather than capital because capital isn't really a factor of production. It's just a mixture of land and labor. Um, capital by them, I mean physical capital, not money. Um, and um, the returns to capital. And so when you have all the resources put in the right place, well, you're just going to basically make normal profit break even or just get the returns to interest. Um, so profits are kind of um, difficult, um, are, are a different um, factor income, as it were, because they don't exist in general equilibrium. Uh, I would argue, similar to Holzman, that the the reason that um, profits exist as such is error. As I outlined before, if, if all entrepreneurs made the right decision based on the value scales and looked in retrospect and again, well, that was the best thing I could do, nobody would earn any uh, profits. It would all, you just get the returns to land, labor and time. Um, the problem is as well, when you think about an economic perspective when it comes to profits is when firms declare profits, it's not necessarily pure profit in the economic sense. It could be partly pure profit. It could be partly um, interest, partly rent and partly wages to whoever is the owner, because he might do something within the firm. When it comes to an absentee shareholder, that might be a little bit different with um, wages. But insofar as they're um, a CEO or whatever, and they have like profit shares, or whatever. Um, so, so just to point out the, what the sort of the accountants of the government considers profit isn't necessarily what is considered profit in the sense of um, uh, in a pure economic sense. Now, is it bad to get uh, profits from things? Well, in principle, no, because what you're doing is you're buying, you're getting a resource which is less valuable uh, in an area and then transferring it to a place where it's more valuable, um, which, of course, is what you kind of want. So being this sort of like uh, trader middleman uh, type um, activity is, is actually quite useful. Um, so, I mean, one classic thing when it comes to sort of profits is um, if you buy loads of stuff when the price is low and keep it off the market, uh, let's say it's, like it's food, and then there's a famine, and then you start selling it, you make a big profit. It's like, well, that's actually a socially good function. So let's say, for instance, uh, we didn't, Joseph in Egypt didn't do uh, give it out for free, as I think the implication is in the, in the Genesis narrative. But he kind of knew from God that there was going to be a famine. You know, if he bought up loads of uh, grain um, and then decided to sell it seven years later, it would be like, well, that's a good thing because you're you're um, transferring the resources to the uh, to when it's most useful. So what you're kind of doing is you're allocating the resources through time. So making profits and buying them up and moving them elsewhere or transferring the ownership to somebody who values it more highly is actually a useful function um, in principle. Now, as I mentioned earlier, though, when it comes to sort of like particularly things like the stock market, most of the stuff you're getting there is just a hedge against inflation. Um, in the absence of the monetary inflation from, say, 2008, asset values wouldn't nearly be as high. And again, you get the little crazy monetary policy, which messes up price signals. And, and so, again, I think the in principle good activity of buying up and making profits 
which you know as, as i mentioned is, is a social good uh, gets a bad reputation why because you seemingly getting a return for doing nothing and you kind of are but you in a way you're not really getting a return all this represents is the fact that the value of money is going down and so the so the dollar or pound price of your assets is going up it's more like self-defense rather than offense yeah 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 definitely but as i said before you know if you have a a, a sound currency system you'd expect the s p 500 or the dow jones on average not really to change in value very much because how would it um the only way you can really get prices in general to go up is either the supply of stuff to go down or um the amount of money to go up i mean that's the only way you can do it on average there's only two things well, the level of spending more precisely, because you could potentially take it out and not spend it as quickly. But broadly speaking, that's all you could do. And it's pretty clear that, again, it's monetary inflation. So at the back of sort of like, um, especially rent and, and profits, it's 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 inflation, it's central banking, fractional reserve banking. It's all this kind of thing, which is giving a bad name to something in principle, which is actually kind of be quite good. Now, and rent is slightly um, different in reason, for reasons we discussed before. Um, so it is. So the the current sort of system really gives a bad name to something that, in principle, is actually quite good. What's interesting is here is that in Mises land or Rothbard land or Swithistan, um, the stock market would probably be a quite boring place um, because the only real, the only thing you could really, quote unquote, gamble or speculate about. Um, is the actual goods and services and whether or not they would work or whether or not they wouldn't work, whether or not consumers would want them or wouldn't want them. There wouldn't be there wouldn't be as much game. Now, there could there could be the sort of gaming of like a lot of is like trying to game the speed of the, the Internet cables that run them. There was, you know, there was the Flash Boys, things like that. There are those type of schemes that you come up with. But those schemes quickly die out, um, you know, how quickly. You know, because then everyone will just put their servers close or things like that. Those type of those type of schemes, they can last for a short time period. And again, this is another situation where you shouldn't make the edge case, the the general, and then just assume that the state can actually. Yeah. And, and the state's not some benevolent um, tyrant either. The state's not some benevolent guy out there. You know, the state has its own interest here. So, again, of course, we're anarchists of some variety here. So we don't think the state should come and intervene here. Um, so, but I do think the stock market, if it would exist, would be quite boring place here, uh, uh, which actually would make it actually the opposite of the speculating game here. So I, I do agree it gives a bad name here. Um, but Mises, of course, has the line that you know, uh, uh, if the society has a stock market, in a way, it's much more of a capitalistic society than a, a non-capitalist society. And this is actually one of the critiques, you know, which sort of showed up with the sort of, the, you know, the stages here. Um, you know, Lenin, for example, thought that you know Russia was a backwards economy because it didn't have a stock market economy. It had a non-moneyed economy here. It was sort of still peasants still paid in grains and things like that. So they they weren't even there. They weren't even to that stage yet. So so in a way, in a way, it's sort of a different stage of development here. Uh, 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 but th- that's somewhat off-topic there. Um, but 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 I do I do think. It's a lot of what investing does on the sort of middle class level in developed societies is more or less self-defense or slight offense, uh, slight offense, which sort of goes back to the whom exploits whom point here. I mean, you could argue that you could argue that the sort of the, the, uh, the, the middle class and the sort of upper end of the working class gets exploited by the lower classes and the upper class. 
uh, uh, with respect to savings um, on this front here. So if you save anything, you're not really going to get much. You're not going to get much return. You're going to get some return. Um, and it is useful to have savings if you don't have a return here. But even so, even so, it, this is one of the Trisha bugaboos of pensions. You said that conservatives should support interest. You know, pensions sort of promote people to not save during their lifetime. You know, while the company or the government will, or Social Security or Social Services will just pay for uh, when I'm older. You know, not my family, not my, uh, not my own work here. So, so there is sort of interesting social implications to that here. Uh, 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 as well. So some, some of the Catholic traditionalists, I sort of chuckle at sometimes because like McIntyre was sort of just recently on. As much as I like him, sometimes solutions are some of the most boring social democratic, you know, militose solutions of all. So which I always sort of chuckle at. Uh, sometimes Catholic traditionalists will sort of be against capitalism, but then they'll support other things that, you know, arguably undermine areas all all over the source, which they like here. So those are some of my overview comments with respect to um, gains from capital here. Do you have any overview uh, of my gains here? I would say, argue much of the best on middle class is just self-defense or slight offense here, which I think, considering the positions, is fair or fair enough. So then- oh, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't complain about them doing it. It's self-defense against inflation. I mean – it's 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 what you kind of need to do, but it does like the Cantillon effect. Once we've done third worldism, um, it benefits a lot, some people more than others. Um, and you, you're right, the stock market would be boring. I mean, um, to what extent the stock market would exist is an interesting question. You get, then we get into questions of limited liability and things, um, and, and also you know to what extent um, divorce of ownership and control would exist in a like a, a freed market divorce of ownership and control is a sort of slightly odd um organizational arrangement to put it mildly i think been by burnham on that um but um uh, in the stock market in sort of rothbardistan uh, the only people who are going to invest are people who think they can beat the market people think they can get better return than interest and the only way they could do that is by knowing something or being able to do something better on average than everybody else you, the average return would be zero. You can't just go, oh, get the average return. You have to do something better. And actually, this is also defense. Well, Keynes's advice actually for investing in in stocks and shares was um, don't just diversify. Learn about particular companies. Figure out which ones are actually good, and think they're going to do well in the long term, and put money into them. Um, that's what um, Keynes advocated. At least that's my my understanding is what he did. And just since you mentioned McIntyre. Um, that uh, solutions response from sort of of the radical criti- uh, critics of capitalism, inverted commas, are just really, really lame. I'm just so fed up of, oh, oh, we know we're against capital. We should help the poor. And, oh, the system is completely rigged. How are we going to solve it? Ah, slightly less capitalism, slightly more welfare. Uh, it is just so, so dull and would solve nothing. Um, uh, it's it's. And getting increasingly annoyed when people advocate that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that, that'd be my overall overview uh, when it comes to sort of uh, rent, uh, capital and interest. I'm pro all three. And I think in Rothbardy, Swift and the Stan, rent would be significant. Interest would be uh, reasonably high. And well, I think there might be a reason why credit may be not much and interest would be maybe relatively low. But if I'm going to guess, I'm going to say something between like three and five percent. It would be higher than it is now. Um, and um, 
Profits, yeah, profits, of course, profits are going to exist. Profits don't just exist because the the capitalist is exploiting his worker. Well, I mean, you can argue, of course, well, the worker's bringing in more. Well, fine, fair enough. But then you've got to think about, well, what is the worker benefiting from? He's benefiting from a standard uh, constant income. Uh, and he would rather get that than decide to be independent and his income fluctuate depending on how well his business does. So there's sort of risks being taken by, uh, as it were, the capitalist which the worker is unwilling or unable to take on. Um, and obviously in, in, in the case of a situation where there's many more opportunities of self-employment and small scale firms and things, the probability that workers are going to be able to be paid significantly lower than their wage in the long run is much, much lower because it's much easier to switch uh, occupation. So again, uh, the things that say like the Marxists would argue with is say wage slavery and things like that, um, again, aren't something that is inherent to, as it were, laissez-faire or, or, or a genuine sort of uh, Rothbardian economy. Um, now, just like to thank um, everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share, uh, subscribe and, um, and uh, do stuff like that, because that gets us higher up in the search rankings. And uh, if you'd like to contact the show for any reason, please contact us at mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com.